Lord God, we've prayed for the children and playgroup. We've prayed for uh, the children going off to their groups. We pray no less for ourselves, that you would show us Jesus. Amen. Well, to stick with the kind of uh, restauranty theme, if uh, we began the service with uh, thinking about Bernie Inns and what you could have got in those days. Um, these days, if you go out for a meal, it's terribly trendy to go to one of those restaurants that offers not a starter, a mains and a pudding, but a, a little plate. And you can have various little plates of things. Um, Quite often they're overpriced, but um, anyway, you get, you get little, li- little plates of things, and you can make up your meal uh, that way. Well, um, the sermon uh, that I could have preached today, uh, or the sermons I could have preached today, amount to three little plates and one bigger one. Because I think there's at least four sermons that can be preached from that passage in Mark's Gospel. Do please find it. If you've uh, closed your Bibles at the end of the reading, it's on page 1008. Three teeny tiny plates to start with. One plate, one sermon, would be about the disciples, the twelve. Jesus gives them authority to go out into the villages He sends them with a sense of urgency. He warns them about potential rejection, just as he had been rejected, as we heard, in his hometown in Nazareth. It's a story that's not easy or gentle or obviously joyful. The uh, Words that Jesus says to the synagogue ruler at the end of the last chapter, in verse 36, just believe, have, by the time Jesus is in his hometown, become, he was amazed at their lack of faith, chapter 6 and verse 6. Just believe has become lack of faith. And that would be a story, this plate, of getting on with it, when mission is tough but urgent, it would be legitimate, but it's not where we're going. Another little plate sermon would be about Jesus. After all, he uh, has a very clear strategy when he's here uh, in this text. He goes home, he lets his uh, disciples come with him, And he then offers them a clear strategy for the villages around, to which he, there's just too many villages. Uh, Someone's calculated there were about 137 villages in the immediate area. Uh, There's too many for him to go to, so he sends them out. And there's an emphasis on a radical dependency on Jesus. Don't take anything except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Just go with what I'm giving you. And that radical quality is emphasized by the fact that Jesus has gone to his hometown and been known as a stranger, really. He's been thrown out because they can't cope with him. He's just the carpenter. 
but they are going to go to the villages as strangers and find themselves homes. A stranger at home is Jesus. They find a home among strangers. And we could make something of that. Because after all, we may be, I think, I personally believe we are being called to go to the villages. Not the villages of Norfolk, but to go to those bits of our own area and particularly our own parish that may not be very well represented among us at the moment. And we may find some cultures there. Andrea talked about culture. We may find some cultures there that are as foreign to some of us as the village culture was or would be in the deepest, darkest Norfolk. And it could be a warning that rejection may meet rejection. This business of wiping off the dust from their sandals when they left a town, it it was a terrible judgment. Because a Jew, uh, coming back to the homeland of Israel after being in Gentile territory, before they crossed the border, would wipe off the dust, the Gentile dust, from their sandals before crossing back into home. So if the disciples are wiping off the dust of a village, it's saying, we're going to treat you as Gentiles. You rejected us, and so we have a message that you are yourselves rejected. That would be legitimate. Or a third plate sermon might be around those who receive ministry in this story. And it would amount to a warning against rejecting Jesus if we are those who know or think we know him. Earlier on in the stories of Jesus in the gospel, uh, it has been the Pharisees, the religious, the proper people, who have rejected him and started indeed to plan to kill him. Here, it is his own hometown. And both of them, they think they know God and they think they know Jesus. And it's actually that they don't. So there is a warning to those who might receive. And that may be where we live. This uh, coming uh, summer is the year anniversary of a big uh, effort we made into our local area called Who Cares? Where we discovered just the most heartbreaking things going on, the most heartbreaking things from which people uh, suffered and they're dealing with. The truth is that we then tried to go out and do something about it, to offer something, but there was very little response. I don't mean that that's necessarily a criticism of those involved, because there may be a great deal more that over time we find ourselves called to do. But immediately, we met very little response, because people, I guess, imagine that they know what church is about. Those little plate sermons, those three teeny tiny sermons, would all be legitimate about Jesus, about the disciples, about those who receive. But I have to give thought to the pastoral situation of a Sunday morning. And I suggest that a rather bigger plate is equally legitimate, and perhaps it's what we, who have gathered this morning, need to hear. Can I direct you please to verse 7 of chapter 6? calling the twelve to him. That's the, that's the phrase that kind of glowed for me. 
when I was looking at this. Because you see, what bothers me about the other three plates is that I struggle to find the good news. We've had the story of Jairus' daughter and of the woman being healed from a hemorrhage. Those are great news. But what is there here? Yes, we know that our villages and our parish need the good news. But are we going to be warned into the right urgency? Are we going to be excited by the authority over evil spirits? Are we going to be inspired to pray by their lack of faith? Are we going to take up these verses and use them to train in strategy? I'm not sure that we will do any of those. I'm just not the kind of character that can be warned into witnessing. One of the classic questions about a Bible text is, who are you in the story? Jesus, a disciple, a passerby, a brother, a healed person, a host, a rejecter. They're all there in this story today. But I asked a very slightly different question. Lord, who do I want to be in the story? And I decided I wanted to be at the start of verse 7. Calling the twelve to him. Called to Jesus. I wonder what that was like. But it's there that I found my good news for today. They've been with him a while. They're still quite dim. It's still a way off that one of them, Simon, gets to say, yes, you're the Messiah. Yes, you're the Messiah. That's what this is. You're the Son of God. That's a way off. There's still lots of misunderstanding and uh, uh, daftness on their part along the way. But what would I not do for my Jesus if I were one of the twelve and he called me over? I'm going to send you out. Well, I'm sure I'd be nervous. But I'm being trusted and that would mean a lot. And it's going to be two by two. Phew, well that's a relief. As long as I don't get Simon the Zealot, he's mad. (laughs) And I'm giving you authority over evil spirits. Authority? I didn't know you thought of it as that. I thought you just did this stuff. But if you've got authority, then it's because someone's authorized you. From somewhere or someone bigger than you, you've got authority. Someone bigger than you, wow. And it comes to me. I'm really quite scared by now. But it's you. And you've called me over. And you love me. In verse 30 of chapter 6, the 12 return. And they're so full of what's gone on that Jesus reckons the best thing to do is to get some rest. The warnings and the authorizings, it's been an angular, a sharp story, all edges as Mark records it. That's not surprising. The drums are beating and the sense of opposition is rising and the thing that's between where we stopped and verse 30 is the death of John the Baptist killed by Herod. And we're going to lead on to Mark chapter 8 where Simon is rebuked for saying, no, don't do that. Whoever you are is precious, don't do that. And it's all going to lead to the cross. But think of those disciples in verse 30 as they return to Jesus. 
And think in the light of that what verses 1 through to 13 have already told us. These are those who've already seen miracles of power over spirits, over sickness, over nature and over death itself. They've known the call of Jesus to be with him and drive out evil spirits, it says, when they're first called. They've heard him teaching and they've heard him handle opposition. They've been told that to them are given the secrets of the kingdom. And that's, that's a great thing. They may not know much about the kingdom of God, but they've lived in the middle of its startup. They have seen. They've been with him on this mission trip. It started with Jesus in his hometown, but they've been sent to the villages round about. Too many for Jesus to cover himself. They've driven out demons. They've seen people released, just as Legion had been released. We heard a couple of weeks back. They've watched the joy of those who are in their right mind again. They've seen families restored. And all of this is through them and the authority that they've been given. They've preached. I love it. Jesus didn't tell them to preach. But they did it anyway. And they've seen faith and repentance. I love Jesus' first instructions a little while back to those disciples. And if you're afraid of speaking to others about Jesus, then you can go back in Mark's Gospel and look to those first instructions to the disciples. And I've got great news for you. You are not required to preach. You only have to throw out evil spirits. (laughs) That's what he says. But they have preached. And they've seen faith and repentance. And this is all just after Jesus has really seen only opposition in his hometown. They've known the joy of seeing people repent, not just, sorry for that sin, but a wholesale turning of lives. I can think of lives I've known that have turned from addiction uh, by repentance, where new life has come in force. That's what they've seen. And they've known sorrow too. When people were healed, but didn't repent because that's the normal pattern. Lots of healings and only a little repentance. Imagine for a minute what it must have been like following the strategy Jesus set out. You are going to be completely dependent on the hospitality of those in the villages. You haven't got anything to offer except the authority I'm granting you. No bag, no money, nothing. Don't go from house to house, but when you find a welcome and people of peace who want to hear you, then make that house your home until your work there is done. Imagine what it must have been felt like to have that first home welcome you, perhaps when you'd knocked on lots of doors and wondered whether there was ever going to be a welcome anywhere. When that home listened to you, when you weren't really sure that the message would take, and then in a very few days, love would have blossomed for all in that household because of all that you had brought them, being authorised by Jesus. Imagine the sense of purity of purpose they must have enjoyed, knowing they were so radically dependent on what Jesus had said to them. No bread, no money, no iPad. Imagine the mixture of feelings it must have left them with wherever they did have to meet rejection, with further rejection and wipe off the dust. Sadness and anger, but perhaps a recognition that God was really in action. 
bringing holiness into the reality of life. Imagine the excitement and the need for energy such that Jesus has to prescribe rest. The Jesus who loves you and has called you to him. Imagine what it must have been like when you were just bubbling over with stories. Perhaps you hadn't been in touch with others of the, the pairs and you got back to Jesus and you were just thinking, oh, he's not going to believe what's happened to us and you discover the same things happened to others too. And that's why verse 7 speaks to me. Jesus calls to himself those who are going to know power, joy, love, purity, holiness, excitement. And I think that's good news. Even if they find all those things at the edges of and well beyond their comfort zones. You see, the challenge of this passage for me is all about motivation. I'm not going to be warned into the kingdom, though I know some who have been. I'm not going to be advised or strategized into discipleship, though I know some who have been. I'm not going to be alarmed into prayer. But I would do all that they do if Jesus called me to him. There are, I think, exciting days ahead on a day that we remember what has been. This week, one of our groups planning some of our outreach for a good while ahead has really taken by the horns the issue of another congregation, possibly not on this space or in this space, possibly not on a Sunday, going out to the villages. Open the book and children's work are going to be happening in a school where they've not historically been heard. Perhaps Playgroup will have another 25 years in the mission of Holy Trinity. Much of it is scary and it is outside our comfort zones. Few will find it easy. Not all will come with us on the journey. But Jesus calls us, you and me, to be with him. It's where it started for them, and it's where it starts for all who will follow. And that's the blessing I want to pray for all of us as we finish. Let's pray. Lord, these stories are full of happenings, people going from one place to another, of welcome and rejection. They're angular, sharp stories. But at the heart of them, there are 12 people whom you called to be with you. Thank you for calling us And we pray your blessing that we may fully enter into what it means to be with Jesus. Because if we are with Jesus, what can we not do in his name? Amen.